0: Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. (laughs) This week, we will be talking about The Cemetery Vote, Season 3, Episode 20, first aired April 5th, 1987, and the IMDb summary reads, The Reform Mayor Dies in a So-Called Accident, And the mayor's father is murdered after he demands an investigation of it. So let's get into the returners, the characters, and then right into this political intrigue of an episode. So first we have Joseph Campanella, and we will recognize him as FBI agent George Knapp from Sticks and Stones, season two, episode 10. In this episode, he plays George McDaniels. We also have Mitchell Ryan, who we will recognize as Congressman Ray Dixon in Capital Offense Season 1, Episode 11. In this episode, he plays Captain Ernest Lenko. So let's get into all the characters. So we have Harry Stevens, Linda Stevens, George McDaniels. David Carroll, Sheriff Orville Yates, Captain Ernest Lenko, Cindy March, Kate Gunnerson, Deputy Wayne Beeler, Gil Stokes, and Rita. So let's get into the episode. We start out with Harry, who we find out is the deceased mayor's father. The deceased mayor, his name is James Stevens, but they call him Jimmy or Jim. And Harry is in his pickup truck outside the police impound contemplating life apparently. And then he proceeds to drive through the locked gate. It is broad daylight. He did not even wait until the nighttime. He did this in broad daylight busts through the gate, gets out of his pickup truck, and goes over to his son's wrecked vehicle. At this point we see a sheriff, well the deputy sheriff, walk up behind him, grab him, and get him into a chokehold. The actual sheriff walks up and is like, Hey, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be trespassing. And then he he sees that like Wayne, the deputy, is like egging him on, is like legitimately choking this older man. So the sheriff tells him to let him go, which he does. And clearly Harry is just upset. He's like, I have the right to see Jimmy's car. The sheriff is like, not while it's in the police impound. Harry's like, it should have been released to his widow, Linda, six months ago. And the sheriff is claiming that there's a bunch of red tape and don't get all upset. It's not healthy for a man of your age. And, you know, I really liked Jimmy. He was an honest man. And Harry's like, that's probably what got him murdered. The sheriff was like, listen, this is an accident. Like, cool your jets. You're You're getting, you're jumping to these wrong conclusions. And Harry says he'll believe that once he's gotten a chance to examine his son's car. And... Harry says, I'll do whatever I need to do to, to accomplish that, even if I have to get court paperwork. And then the scene ends as Harry is getting into his vehicle to leave. As he's backing out of the police impound lot, we see a poster saying that Sheriff Yates is running for mayor. The next scene, we're at the cemetery with Jessica and Linda, who is Jimmy's wife and Harry's daughter-in-law or widow and former daughter-in-law. And Jessica is like, "Um, I heard from Amos when I called from Rome about the accident. And Linda's like, you didn't have to cancel your plans. And of course, Jessica being who she is, she's like, I wish I could have been here sooner. But I, you know, I, it's not a problem. Like I needed to be here with you, um, to help you through this, which uh, this is why we love Jessica. And so she's asking Linda how she's doing, because this is still fresh. We're guessing that this is at least six to seven months out since the vehicle should have been returned six months ago. And Linda's like, I'm doing okay. You know? And Jessica says, well, are you keeping yourself busy? I know you were talking about participating in a special election. And Linda says, yes, um, we have to replace Jim as mayor. So actually, I have to pick up some posters. So can we stop by City Hall uh, on the way, I guess, to her hotel or to Linda's house? So the next scene, we're at City Hall in the deputy mayor's office, who is now acting mayor since Jimmy, the mayor, has died. And it's David and George. Now, David is the acting mayor and George is on the city council. And they're talking about the election and David's chances of winning. And we find out that he can probably get the backing of the city council. However, the civics club is backing Sheriff Yates and we find out now from George that Kate Gunnerson runs the civic club and that she is quote crookeder than a dog's hind legs end quote <laughs> like, you know what okay got it got it that that is descriptive so then Linda and Jessica come in and we find out that Linda is backing deputy mayor David for the mayoral position because he was friends with Jim, right? So she's backing him in this election. And as they're talking, Harry busts in the door, okay? The secretary is trying to stop him. He's like, get out of my way. He busted through the door and he's asking David, for some legal documentation so that he can examine Jimmy's car. And Linda's like, what have you done now? And Harry is like, listen, I went to that impound lot. They should have released that car six months ago. I had the right to look at it. Then the the deputy sheriff, Wayne, he came and he choked me out and stuff. And so David is like, wait, he used force? He's like, yeah, I thought he was going to break my neck. And at this point, David goes to make a phone call to a judge to get a court order because he's like, they should have released that 30 days after the accident to Linda. Now, in the interim, um, Jessica's like, what are you talking about? And because Harry's like, that death car is evidence. And George is like, he thinks it was murder. And Jessica's like, well, I thought they said it was an accident. And Linda's like, it was. Then Harry breaks it down for Jessica. And he's like, a one car accident on a straight road that Jimmy has driven over 900 times? Yeah, no, it was not an accident. Not for nothing? That sounds like a setup. So (laughs) that's why the father wanted to check the brakes and the steering because he thought that those were tampered with and that's how the accident was caused. It wasn't caused by Jimmy or any failings on his part. It was the car was tampered with. So David is able to get a court order from Judge Reardon stating that the sheriff must turn over the vehicle to Linda. So they go to the police impound, and the vehicle is missing. All that's left is an oil spot on the ground. The sheriff and the deputy sheriff are acting like it was never there that it could be anywhere, that it could have been sent through a compactor and be the size of a suitcase now, you know, they don't know, they don't know, they don't know. So Jessica's like, I don't think you understand, Sheriff. That court order says that you need to turn that vehicle over to Linda. You don't want a violation of the law hanging over your head right before an election to which the sheriff is like, you must be from out of town. And she's like, well, what does that have to do with anything? And he says, those who are from around here know that it's not a good idea to threaten the sheriff. And she's like, well, where I'm from, no one needs to threaten the sheriff because he upholds the law. Okay. And so he's like, I don't think I caught your name. So she gives him her name. The next scene, we're in a pool hall, billiards room situation. It's Kate Gunnerson's establishment. And we have Kate, the sheriff, and Gil. And Kate is like, Who is this Jessica Fletcher? The sheriff is like, Oh, she's some sort of writer. And Kate is like, What type of writer is she? The sheriff don't know, because he ain't do no type of research whatsoever. And they're like, Why are you even concerned about a writer? And Kate is like, I don't like strangers, you know, or outsiders. And she's like you re- Orville, you really messed up by getting rid of that car. And the sheriff is like, what, was I supposed to let them examine it? Which clearly means that they did tamper with his vehicle. And she's like, you should have gotten rid of it before that old man started asking questions. Which is true. Like immediately after the accident, they should have destroyed the car and been like, oh, I'm sorry. Or on day 29, Right when they were getting supposed to release it after thirty days, they should have said, "Oh, it was mistakenly put in line to be destroyed, and it was destroyed." Like, but it was an accident. So, like, what's the deal, even? And given her the compacted car, and and that's it. But no, they were too stupid. Thankfully, to do that. So now Gill is jumping in. Now, I don't know what his relation is. Maybe him and Kate are married or whatever. But. He's like, this election isn't in the bag. You really need to get it together, Sheriff. This isn't looking good for you. You have a real candidate this time. And I'm like, clearly Jim was a real candidate because he won, but okay. And so there's some back and forth where we realize that the Sheriff clearly has been covering up illegal activity on behalf of Kate and Gil. They have a weekend gambling den that they are running and the sheriff has been protecting them. And he says the only person who's ever been close to shutting you guys down is Jim Stevens and he's gone. So was he really murder for some gambling weekend gambling? Are you serious? Like, we'll see. So the next scene, we are at Linda's home. And she is turning down Jessica's bed and they're talking and Jessica's like, yeah, I need to get back to Cabot Cove, you yeah, know, because although Amos Tupper upholds the law, I do not trust him to water my plants. What is that saying about him? <laughs> But we know Amos, so that's definitely true. Now she should have asked Seth to do it. Seth would have done it. Okay. He he would have been on it. Okay. <laughs> But as they're talking, we find out that, um, Linda does not believe that the sheriff is covering anything up. Why she doesn't believe that? I don't know. She, maybe she's innocent, naive, sweet. I don't know. But she does not believe he's covering anything up, but she's like, this, this ain't sitting right with me. We also find out from her that the rumor is that the sheriff won his first election by the cemetery vote. Basically, copying names off of tombstones as registered voters and voting for himself using those deceased people's names, which in 2022 and probably the last decade plus, that would not have been possible. But I'm assuming in the 80s it was possible, 70s, I don't know when he was first elected. But this is in 1987. So I'm guessing that that was a possibility in a small town. Yeah. As they're talking, someone breaks into the house. We hear some broken glass. And Jessica's like, oh my God, we should call the police. (laughs) And Linda's like, Sheriff Yates? I'd rather take my chance with a burglar. She then goes into the closet and pulls out a shotgun. She's like, I don't know if it's loaded, but we about to figure this out. Yes, protect yourself, ma'am. Protect yourself. So it turns out the intruder is her father-in-law. Okay. (laughs) So apparently Harry was looking in Jim's home office to see if he had proof about not only the weekend gambling den at Gil Stokes Warehouse, but that Sheriff Yates was a partner in it and getting a cut. Now, we as the audience know this after the previous scene, but Harry believes that Jim had proof and that's why he was murdered when he was. So Linda is clearly not in a place to accept the fact that her husband was murdered. It's easier for her to accept that it was an accident So she's overwhelmed and she goes off to make coffee because now she can't sleep and is upset. And Harry feels bad about this. He's like, I know sometimes it sounds like I'm talking crazy. And Jessica's like, no, this makes sense to me. And I think that there is something going on with the sheriff. Because if he was the sheriff of my hometown, I wouldn't call for a special election I would call the state's attorney, okay, or the exterminator. (laughs) Anyway, so they go over to the desk and we see Jimmy's personal effects. So it was a wallet, a ring, and a set of keys. So the ring is unique. And we find out from Harry that it was actually created from a $10 gold piece into the shape of a ring by his blacksmith father and given to him. His father told him it was lucky. And so he passed it down to Jimmy and he's looking at it and he's like, now it's coming back to me. He then proceeds to put the ring on and he's like, wow, I haven't worn a ring in years, but it still fits. So he then goes off. I believe he also takes Jimmy's keys and so but actually before he leaves, Jessica finds a folded up piece of paper in his wallet, that being Jimmy's wallet. And it's a bunch of numbers and letters, just like 20 digits long, right? And Harry's like, this is what I was looking for. And Jessica's like, oh, what is it? <laughs> Is this the proof? And he's like, no, but it's telling me where to find the proof. And so I know where I need to go. And when I get there and get it, tell Linda that I'm taking it straight to Ernest Lenko with the state police. He then leaves heading where we don't know. He doesn't say where he's going. He just says now he knows where to go. And Jessica says, be careful. And he says, listen, I'm not going to fall asleep at the wheel and he leaves. So we already know that he's going to be murdered. So this is just like upsetting, but (laughs) no, you're not going to fall asleep at the wheel. And when you turn up dead, we'll know it was a murder. Will we be able to prove it? Of course, because Jessica's there. So there's that. We then see a vehicle with two people in it. We know who these people are, but okay. Two people in it throw Harry's body out of the side door and he rolls down an embankment. Okay, clearly it is the sheriff and Wayne. Okay, at the very least, Wayne is in the passenger seat. I can't say for sure the sheriff is driving, but I'm pretty sure. So the next scene, we're at the sheriff's office and they have Linda there to identify Harry's body because she was his next of kin since his son predeceased him, so Jessica is there with her, of course, and we have the coroner, so yeah, this isn't suspicious, like this was the stupidest thing that they could have done is to murder the father now I know he's asking questions and everything like that, but so you kill him that is stupid, like you're already bringing you know, heat down on you. But now this person who was asking all the right questions, right, is suddenly dead. Okay. So stupid. Not for nothing. This is a very large sheriff's department for what seems to be a small town. Okay. <laughs> like, this is a large office. Now we've seen Cabot Cove, which has a population of like a little over 3,500, if I remember correctly. So this is clearly a much bigger town to have this size sheriff's department, right? Like, unless he shares office space with, like, the DMV, this is a whole lot of law enforcement in this presumably small town. And for them to be able to be so corrupt, it also makes me think that it's a small town. But this building is huge, so we find out from the sheriff that apparently someone hit Harry over the head and threw him out onto the side of the highway. He was dead before he hit the pavement. So clearly he was murdered. Like, that's not an accident. Like, so what are we even doing? Like, are you investigating this? Cause this was a murder. And this is what I mean, bringing more heat onto this town because what's going to happen is you're not going to do your job and then they're going to call in the state police and you're going to get shut down and charged federally. Like what are you even doing? But uh, the show must go on. Okay. Okay. So Deputy Mayor, now acting Mayor David comes storming into the office and is like, I was told that Linda is the one who has to identify Harry's body. Like that's unnecessary. That's terrible. Side note, it is. It really is. She already lost her husband and now this is her father-in-law and you're making her do this when everybody in town knows who Harry is. And so David is like, listen, you could have done the identification and confirmed it by his driver's license and signed off the paperwork. So the sheriff is like if he had a driver's license and Jessica's like well he drove a pickup truck. Um Jessica, that does not mean that he was licensed to drive. Okay. <laughs> not for nothing. Um but we find out long story short, he did not have any personal effects on him. He did not even have his boots on, okay? So Jessica's like why would the killer take his boots? good freaking question. But what we also find out in this scene is that the acting mayor is also Linda's personal attorney. And I'm like, how is that even okay? I don't know how that works. Okay. (laughs) I don't know how that works, but apparently he is and he has the right to collect Harry's personal effects on her behalf. Um, but that's when we find out that nothing was found on him, uh, except the clothes on his back, but not the shoes on his feet, nor any jewelry or wallet even. Okay. So this is the first time I figure out where we are. I can't say figure out. They clearly show they're in the state of Idaho, specifically in Comstock, Idaho. That's where we are. This is where this is taking place. The next scene, we have Jessica at the state police office for Idaho. So one step over the local sheriff's department and she is speaking with Captain Ernest Lenko. This is the person that Harry was going to bring whatever evidence he believed he was going to find to him so something could actually be done about it. We also find out (laughs) that the way that Harry knows Ernest is because Harry was Ernest's track coach back in school. (laughs) Like, I would have never, never guessed that Harry was a track star that then became a track coach. I would have never guessed it. Never in a million years guessed it. But you know what? Good for him. I just assumed he was out here being a farmer or something like that. But he's, he was teaching. He's out here teaching track. All right now. So what we also find out from Captain Lenko is that on two previous occasions, he, in conjunction with Sheriff Yates, did a raid of Gil Stokes uh, Supply House or whatever, where this illegal gambling was supposedly going on. And they only found actual like supply. There was no gambling going on on these two occasions. Now, Captain Lenko knows that there's this illegal gambling going on. Everybody in in Comstock specifically knows what's going on but he has not been able to bust them. I wonder why. Clearly it's because Sheriff Yates is in on it because he's getting a cut of it. And we already know this from the previous scene where he was with Kate Gunnerson and Gil Stokes, that the sheriff is getting a cut. So he's clearly giving them the heads up about these raids from the state police department. We also find out that there was a third raid that occurred two days before Jimmy's car accident and Sheriff Yates was in Reno, I'm assuming Nevada, when this happened and they still had no luck. So that means that there is somebody else or somebody's else who were aware and gave the heads up. Now, we also find out that in order for the state police to do anything, they have to notify Sheriff Yates due to jurisdiction. So it's a real catch-22 since Sheriff Yates is on the take. So the next scene, we are at City Hall and Jessica goes into the mayor's office And we meet Cindy March, who is super excited to meet Jessica, (laughs) okay? Um, But Cindy is also a bit of an eavesdropper because she lets her into the mayor's office where Linda is. She's in there stuffing envelopes for David's campaign. Once Cindy lets Jessica in, she doesn't close the door completely. She leaves a crack open and she's standing there listening, And basically, they're they're not talking about anything revolutionary, just like, oh, you know, David decided to stay in his office until after the election. Um, And, you know, Linda couldn't bring herself to remove Jimmy's personal effects, etc. But we see even more so how Linda is not emotionally capable of accepting that her husband was murdered. She just can't because with Harry being murdered, it's just too much for her, which is completely understandable that within an eight-month period, she lost her husband to a quote-unquote accident and is now helping his friend to run for mayor. And suddenly her father-in-law, who did not believe that his son accidentally died, He was legitimately murdered and she had to identify his body and that's traumatic. Now we saw his body and his, at least his face was not uh, disfigured, but still he was dead and that is a lot. And we don't know if the father or if Linda was required to identify Jimmy's body, which I'm sure was very traumatizing. That, I don't think we ever find out. But this is too much for Linda. And it's very clear that um, she's not ready to accept this. And Jessica figures this out and is like, all right, well, that's not going to stop me from actually proving this, but I'll leave you out of it, is basically where we're at. So then David comes in to give more flyers to Linda. He sees Jessica. He's like, oh, I didn't know you were one of my volunteers. And Jessica's like, I'm not. So... (laughs) I was just about to leave because clearly I'm done talking to Linda about this issue. So David agrees to give her a ride wherever, right? Because he's also leaving. And as they're walking past the secretary's desk, um, they say, Jessica asks to see where Jimmy died and the secretary hears this and she looks up, but also... You know, so I was like, all right, we, spoiler, she is in a relationship. And I use that term super loosely, and you'll see why soon, with Wayne, the deputy sheriff. So as they're leaving, um, David says, well, I, let me just tell my secretary so she can hold my phone calls or whatever, and then we can go. So he goes into his office, and the next scene, we are in... David's car. Now they show a long shot of the vehicle and the driver has on a terrible wig. Okay, it is clearly not David. Now, I can't tell if it's actually Jessica. It the haircut looks like Jessica. So maybe the actress had a better wig, but you can tell that it is not David driving on the long shot. Now they have the one that's probably in front of a green screen. This is both of the actual actors. Okay. Yeah. So now (laughs) David and Jessica get run off of the road by a very large truck, tractor trailer without a trailer on it. Right. And it's all dusty. You can't see a license plate. You can't see the driver. Not that you would be able to see them, honestly, if the glass, the windshield was clear. But it is traumatic. Okay. (laughs) This is for real scary. Like clearly they weren't actually in the vehicle. It was stunt doubles who were in the vehicle. And they just show like the green screen, like so Jessica reacting to a, you know, getting pushed by the tractor trailer, and also like David is just like, oh, that's coming up fast. Like he, he knows already. He's like, oh, they must have been lying in wait, sir, sir, sir. You're you're showing your hand, okay. <laughs> Anyway, so now, of course, the police have to come and it's the the sheriff and like they do not believe Jessica because, well, I take that back. They believe that this happened, but she can't identify who did it. So they're not really giving a lot of energy to this. So the next scene, Jessica is back at Linda's house and Jessica is all types of sore And so Linda's like, oh, I thought, well, soaking in a hot bath would help with your bruises and everything, because you were in there for like an hour. And Jessica says, well, I soaked for about 10 minutes. The rest of the time was me getting in and out of the tub. I'm like, oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. But we then find out why Linda is, well, was refusing to believe that Jimmy was murdered. And it's because Jimmy was, I'm assuming, like a public defender or at least a, a defense attorney for low income people. Because she says he loved being a lawyer, he was defending the poor. So that's what he was doing. And she is the one who convinced him to run for office because she didn't see a future in him as an attorney for the poor. And I'll comment about that later. Uh, (laughs) So meaning that he ran for mayor, he won. And if he was murdered because of wanting to do right as mayor, then it was her fault for convincing him to run. Now, I will say he had the choice to say no. So he did in some place in his heart, his mind, his soul, his spirit, wanted to do this. And he probably realized that he could do better for more people as mayor than he could as an attorney. So I think she really shouldn't take on that responsibility, right? Because although she did not see a future in him being an attorney for the poor, that perhaps she wanted him to run for office for status, for herself, being the mayor's wife. But for him, for Jimmy, it was, you know what? I can do so much more for everybody as mayor. So he that's why it was easy for him to eventually get behind it and give 110% Because his picture or his thoughts were of doing good for the masses, even though hers may have been for status purposes. Because that's what it sounded like. Because I'm like, okay, he was a lawyer. He loved being a lawyer. He loved representing the poor and disenfranchised people, which thank God for people like that. You know, so... Why were you dissatisfied if he was happy with that? You know what I mean? So that's why it feels like she just wanted that him to run for status purposes. So yeah, she should feel some type of way about that. Her reasoning for convincing him or bringing up the idea about him running for office, right? He had to get on board with it. And I feel like he had the right reasons for getting on board with it, but she's feeling guilty because she did not. And not for nothing, she should carry that guilt for a little bit. Not forever, not forever, but just a little bit, just a little bit. Because that's trash that you would want to pull this man out of something or woman, right? Either way, pull them out of something that they enjoy, like, Literally, this is their purpose in life because you want status. And I'm sure she wasn't like, oh, well, you can help a lot of people and really believe that. You know, it was like, "Mm, but I'll be the mayor's wife. So, yes. Yeah, that's trash. So, Jessica gets into bed and she calls Captain Lenko at the state police. And Basically, she's like, who would have stole Harry's boots? <laughs> so the captain's like, you know what? I'll look into that. It might have been a homeless or transient person. Um, so maybe that'll give us a lead or whatnot. Maybe as the time as too, right? But also they put two and two together and figure out that there had to be a mole in Jim's office who's still there because that truck was lying in wait. It knew that they were coming down that road. And the only way, the only people who would have known that were people in the mayor's office that could have called to get that set up. So now that's what we're onto, a mole in the mayor's office. So Captain Lenko calls the mayor's office and he actually ends up speaking to George McDaniels, I'm guessing, and, and to David, whatever. And they figure out who the mole is, right? So they have Rita who is David's secretary, right? And I'm like, Rita, get to the freaking point. Get to the point. <laughs> like, I ain't of the gossip. So you ain't hear this from me, ma'am. Don't nobody care. So we find out that Cindy March, who is the secretary or was the secretary for Jim, right, is in a relationship, again, loosely say that because Wayne Beeler, the deputy sheriff that she is sleeping with, is married. So she is the what? Side piece. Okay. So clearly she's the one giving information to him and he is tipping off Sheriff Yates. So the next scene, we are at the Highway Motel and there is definitely a sheriff's vehicle parked right in front of the sign next to the door. They're not even trying to hide this, that he, one of the sheriffs is up in there and they probably have a specific vehicle for each of them. So everybody in town probably know that uh, old Wayne is up in there and I guess his wife ain't say nothing or can't say anything This is a whole mess. And to top it all off, right? I kind of feel bad for Cindy because she seemed real naive, but Wayne is abusive and she need to get away from him immediately and stay far away from him because not only did he get her in some mess, but he is violent towards her. Oh no, girl. Oh no. Mm -mm. Please somebody protect her because she does not know any better. What I don't understand is why Wayne would have told Cindy that he was the one driving the truck. Like, why are you even having these conversations with her? But okay, whatever. Um, So (laughs) you are not supposed to tell anybody. That's how people get caught. You be telling people. And just because you threaten her does not mean that this information may not get out. Anyway... So it was Wayne who was driving the truck and he was just supposed to scare them, not kill them. And he is expecting that when Sheriff Yates wins the mayoral election, that he will then make Wayne the sheriff. But I'm like, you have to be voted in to sheriff. Like, if the sheriff was chosen by the mayor, then... Sheriff Yates definitely would not be the sheriff under Jim. But I'm guessing he thinks that um one he's not even running like I have not seen poster the first. But I guess he figures that how whatever trickery they're going to use for Yates to win as mayor is what they'll use for him to win the sheriff's position. Like they did with Yates because he is, you know, his right hand man. So that's probably why he's doing all of this dirty work for them so that they'll back him to become sheriff. But he's the worst type of trash, really. But anyway, so the next scene we are at City Hall and Jessica is confronting Cindy who has finally made her way to work. Cindy denies making the call about Jessica and David driving down that country road. But she does admit to giving deputy Wayne information previously. Right. So she says that she's afraid of him. If he does, when he doesn't get his way, he gets mean. And Jessica's like, why didn't you just stop seeing him? And she's like, I can't. I love him. Girl. What? What? Okay. Hmm. So someone needs to see a therapist because that, that, no. And so she's like, <laughs> she, this is the worst part. This is how we know that she is really in a bad way. Cause she's like, he, he said that he's going to divorce his wife after she has her baby. Girl, what? Girl, what? He ain't never leaving that wife. Okay. No, no. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So you're telling me he wants to be sheriff of this small town, right? And he is going to divorce his wife after she has a newborn Mm -hmm. and marry you. Girl, that's not how that works. That's not how that worked. He got to put up a front, a whole family values front. He going to be there smiling with that newborn baby and his wife, the entire campaign. Girl, you were just a good time. I hate to tell you that, but that is what Jessica wanted to say, but didn't. She was too polite to say it. And Cindy's like, I know that sounds awful, but like that's, that really is. Obviously she does not know that there are more options. That's why it also seems to me like this is a very small town, despite the size of the sheriff's department, because you can't tell me that Wayne, who is not attractive, not even sorry about that, is your only option. Ma'am, you're beautiful and you got a good job. Like, but maybe she ain't got no sense. And that's why he was able to convince her That this was all that she could aspire for. Like, this this is it. And if she really thinks that, okay, well, he's going to be the sheriff and then I'll be the sheriff's wife. Maybe that too. But I feel bad for her because she really is stupid. Just, she really is. It's unfortunate. And Jessica is just exasperated. She's like, girl, you dumb. (laughs) But she, you know, she, Jessica's too nice to say those things out loud. But she really did say, oh, Cindy, and rolled her eyes when she said (laughs) he gonna leave his pregnant, well, his postpartum wife and divorce her for real and get with me. (laughs) She like, you believe that lie? Wow. Wow. Okay, now I know what I'm dealing with. (laughs) So back to the scene, right? So, (laughs) oh, no, I really do feel bad for Cindy. She's like, everybody else is happy. Why can't I be happy? And I'm like, girl, but it's not with Wayne. You deserve better. And it's sad that you don't know that. But anyway, so Jessica's like, listen, sit down, be honest with me, and I will do everything I can to help you. So she asked Cindy, were you the one who told Deputy Wayne about the raids of the gambling den? And she's like, no, because I had no idea they were happening. I was not the mole regarding that. So Jessica then needs Cindy's assistance, right? Because Cindy is smarter than she gives herself credit for, right? So She asked her about the note that she found from Jim and his property, the numbers and letters. And she said that the librarian said it may be a legal reference because it wasn't card catalog um, notations. So Cindy looks at it and she's like, yeah, this is how he would write references that he wanted me to look up. If you want, I can find those for you. She was like, there's actually two references on this form on the sheet. And so Jessica says, yes, please. So Cindy goes and she gets the two, she gets the first book. She opens it up to the case and there is a sheet of paper in there. She just puts to the side and Jessica picks up because that's the actual thing that they're looking for. (laughs) And she then, we don't even see her pick up the second book, but uh, legal reference book that is. But the next scene, Jessica, is at the Idaho State Police Barracks speaking with Captain Lenko and she hands over at least one of the references. So the first reference had the paper that was in it was actually a sworn statement from an electrician who had to go to the warehouse to make repairs on a Saturday night and observed Sheriff Yates there while people were gambling. So yeah, he was definitely in it and it was a sworn and notarized statement that Jim had obtained from this person and was hiding it in his reference book. Captain Lenko says, well, this is enough evidence that we can do the next raid without notifying Yates, because clearly this is proof that he is aware of what's going on. Then Jessica says, well, the case that it was next to was about a local official who accepted bribes through in the form of political support. To which the captain is like, that fits Yates like a glove. Jessica then says that the other reference in the other law book also fits him because it talks about election fraud, where a candidate used the cemetery vote title to secure victory in an election. However, there was no documentation included next to that reference. The captain then tells Jessica that they found out about Harry's boots. They found them with a person with an alcohol problem uh, who was trying to use Harry's credit card to buy liquor in Casterville. I don't know how close that is to Comstock, but yeah. And apparently this man could not have killed Harry because He was in police custody at the time until right before dawn so that the police did not have to feed him. And I'm like, that's trash. But he was in the drunk tank. He did not have charges on him. They were just keeping him there for his safety. So as he was walking out of town, he must have run into Harry's deceased body, where he stole the boots, he stole his wallet, and he stole his keys. So Jessica was like, two sets of keys? The captain says, no, one. And Jessica says, well, he picked up Jim's keys when he left and he left in his pickup truck. So he clearly should have had two sets of keys. So she's like, that's strange that he only had one set when his body was found. And so the sheriff goes, to the sheriff, the captain goes through all of the items that this, um, suspect had like the the thief we'll call him had he had the boots the wallet watch and a ring and Jessica's like a ring it's like yeah Harry's gold ring I don't know why he didn't pawn it now Jessica has a ring epiphany so Jessica says that explains everything and the captain's like uh can you explain it to me (laughs) She says, yes, as soon as you set up another raid on the gambling den, parlor, whichever. And I'm sure that this time you'll find more than just lawn furniture. So the next scene, we are at the warehouse and there's definitely a full on gambling situation, casino set up. And Deputy Wayne is there playing craps and like he's having this woman who's wearing his sheriff's jacket and hat. Okay. He is in full uniform with his gun on his hip and he has his jacket and his hat draped over this woman who is standing next to him. I highly doubt that that, his, that she is his pregnant wife. Okay. Cindy, girl, you can do better because that is not Cindy either. And he has her blowing his dice. Okay. He gets the six that he wanted to get. And then he like full on kisses this woman on the mouth. I'm like, okay. So you're just trash to not only your your wife, but to Cindy, who you're also violent to? Mm, Just the worst type of person. And so the camera continues to pan through this warehouse. And we see Sheriff Yates come in. And just amongst, you know, the people, Gil gives him some um, coins, some tokens to gamble with. And he's like, no, that's fine. However, he's drinking some brown liquor. So he is on duty, but he is drinking alcohol. Okay, I see how you do. But he's not going to gamble. And so Kate is like, yeah, it's still early. You know, the high rollers can't get away from their wives just yet. We then find out through this conversation that the sheriff is not the one who ordered Wayne to run Jessica and David off the side of the road. So he suspects that it was Kate and Gil who gave that order. Additionally, Kate is like, oh, you should have been a detective And the sheriff's like, well, had I been a detective, maybe I would know who killed Jim and Harry. And so Kate is like, do you think that Wayne did it? You know, he's a good boy. Like he follows directions. He does what he's told. He would make a great sheriff. And so Sheriff Yates is like, well, I thought you said that the mayor would have a say so in that. And she says the mayor will. So my thing is, this means that the sheriff did not order the murder of Jim and Harry and that the sheriff believes that Kate used Wayne to murder Jim and Harry and run David and Jessica off the side of the road. So we don't get a confession or a revelation at this point from either Kate or Gil And it's just kind of a staring match between the sheriff and Kate as the scene ends. The next scene, we are at City Hall. Jessica is in Jim's old office looking in a case law book and David comes in and Jessica's like, oh, you know, I wasn't sure if you were going to come. And he said, I almost didn't. Who wants to meet at City Hall at this hour of the night? And she's like, I'm a writer. I keep weird hours. But like, dude, if she said that she was there and she wanted to meet, you better show up. How are you just going to ghost her in City Hall at this time of night? My question is, how does she get into City Hall at this time of night? Like, do they have 24-hour security? Like... Did she have uh, the number to the keypad? Like did she have the number to the alarm system? Like I am confused how she got access to this building. But okay, that's what we're going to do. So, we find out the reason Jessica gave David for wanting to re to meet at City Hall at that hour. She had told him that Jim had made two references to cases one of which had a piece of evidence. That evidence was a notarized letter placing Yates in the gambling establishment while there was gambling going on and that Jessica wishes that Jim could have given it to Captain Lenko himself, but she turned it over to him today and they were leading a raid tonight. So David's like, oh, that's fantastic. David asks, well, what time? And Jessica says, oh, in a couple of hours. Jessica then makes an excuse to leave. She says that Linda was waiting downstairs for her. She has to go. So she runs out of the office, but of course, closes the door and stands on the other side, cracks the door a bit to see what David does. He immediately gets on the phone. He calls over to the warehouse and ask for Kate Gunnerson, And he does not recognize the voice of the person on the other line, which is important to this. And he's like, find her and give her this message. They're going to do a raid on the place in about two hours. So the captain of the state police, he is audio taping this like with a handheld tape recorder, which I'm like, yes, thank you. So he's like, thank you, Mr. Carroll. We got your warning on tape. Sorry, you won't be able to speak with Kate because she's under arrest. Okay. Yeah. Have a great day. So he's freaked out. Of course, he hangs up the phone. He turns around as Jessica is walking back into the office. David admits that he was working both sides of the track because Kate Gunnerson holds a lot of weight in the town and she can and he convinced her that he could be reasonable even more reasonable than Yates and he justifies this by saying that I couldn't be of help to anybody unless I was elected. Jessica's like you would have consorted with anybody in order to launch your political career. And you were even willing to commit murder. And so he's like, whoa, wait a second. Wait, wait, hold up. And he's like, I was in the car with you when we were almost run off the road. We were nearly killed. And Jessica said, were we? Cindy swears that she never told Deputy Wayne where we were going or that we were leaving. Right. So... It had to be you who set up that phony near miss accident. Now we will recall that as they were leaving, David ducked into his office saying that I need to tell my secretary to hold my calls or whatever, whatever. But that was suspicious because he came into the office to speak with Linda and to give her the flyers. And he said, oh, well, I'm heading out myself. So if he was already heading out, wouldn't he have already told his secretary when he walked out of the office, hey, I'm going to drop these posters off or these flyers off to Linda and then I'm heading out for the day. Did, yeah. So it didn't make sense that he needed to go back in there unless he needed to make a call to say, hey, Jessica is going to be in the car with me. Let's scare her and do this near miss accident. To which David is like, why would I risk my own neck? And Jessica says, because you wanted to remove suspicion from yourself. Hello. That's the only reason. (laughs) Exactly. And so Jessica then says, I believe that Jim discovered that you were the one who tipped off the gambling club owners about the raids and he probably would have given you a chance to deny it because that was the type of person he was and your response was to tamper with his car now that's deep that's deep and dirty oh terrible so he's like Jessica you are a spellbinder the way you can weave a story together with the flimsiest of material and no evidence And Jessica says, it's true that I can't prove that you killed Jimmy, but I know that you killed Harry. And he's like, what are you talking about? And basically, remember she had the ring epiphany? Well, when David was in the sheriff's department demanding Harry's belongings, he mentioned a ring. And Jessica's like, if you had not seen Harry's body how did you know he had a ring? And Jessica says, he told me he had not worn a ring in years. And he, in fact, only put it on shortly before he left Linda's house. And so, of course, David is like, oh, well, uh, Linda told me. Then Linda walks in and says, I could not have told you because I wasn't in the room when Harry put the ring on. Jessica then goes on to ask Linda what keys Jim kept on his key ring. And she says his car key, his house key, his key to City Hall and his key to this office. And so Jessica then explains what she believes happened, which actually happened. Let's be honest, that Harry had actually made it into City Hall and he was on his way to the mayor's office so he could look at Jim's law books but as he was on his way there he must have heard or seen something in David's office because David tended to work late that stopped him and so Jessica's like what did he overhear a call maybe you were speaking with Kate Gunnerson." He confronted you about it and you handled the father the same way you handled the son by killing him, hitting him over the head. Once you got rid of his body, you took the keys to get back in here and you searched through Jim's law books. Jessica then goes on to explain that both references could have referred to Sheriff Yates. However, the one regarding malfeasance in the government office could have referred to the deputy mayor. And you went and you looked up both of these references and you probably found the documentation of your betrayal as deputy mayor and removed it. Then place the letter with regards to Sheriff Yates in the reference that was actually referring to you, a malfeasance in office. Then David decides to leave, claiming that there is no proof that he did anything. As he opens the door, George McDaniels walks in and he says... You, I can't think of anywhere else you need to be except here, waiting to speak with the state police. And David is like, George, get out of my way. And basically, George is like, Try it, I am sure that I will enjoy knocking your block off. (laughs) And rightfully so, because remembering that David murdered jim and everybody loved jim and then he murdered harry who really was just trying to get justice for his murdered son which is reasonable and understandable and you murdered this old man just the worst of the worst of the worst so the final scene is at the cemetery with Jessica and Linda in front of Jimmy and probably Harry's grave. They were probably buried together, I'm sure, or next to each other. And we find out that Linda is going to run for mayor with the backing of George McDaniel. And that since Kate Yates... And the rest of that crew is under indictment. She shouldn't have any problem winning. And so Jessica's like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Are you going to do it? And she says, well, I am a Stevens, aren't I? And they laugh. And so she's going to run for mayor. And good for her. Like, I'm hoping, though, that she is willing to do the good work that her husband Aspire to do and is not focused on the exciting life that she will lead as a mayor and, you know, hobnobbing with politicians and going to parties and wearing pretty dresses. Um, that she'll get down to the brass tacks and actually make changes that need to be made, which should be easier because the corrupt leadership is gone. For now. So she just has to keep an eye. You know what? She should really consult Jessica about the people that she is going to back once she is mayor so that she doesn't end up in the same quagmire where she picks people who she thought were good and then they turn out to be corrupt. So yeah, hopefully she will keep in touch with Jessica and rely on Jessica's, um, Keen sense about people and desire to do the right thing, so that 's that on that um it wasn't It was a good episode, it was a good episode, a lot of moral dilemmas in here, not for Jessica at all, not at all for Jessica, but I am not a fan of political corruption and violence towards women and Murdering people, you know, that, you know, those things, (laughs) like hopefully everybody else. But overall, a good episode. Next week, we will be watching the days dwindle down. We will get to see clips from the actual 1949 movie, Strange Bargain, with the original actors. Now, 30 years later, the wife is trying to clear the name of her husband, who was convicted of murder in, ni- in that original movie. So this is definitely well done. It's sad, I'm going to tell you. It's sad. But being able to see actual flashbacks and have the actual actors now older play their older selves is just really, really well done. So I'm looking forward to reviewing that despite the fact that it is sad. So until next week, you can reach out to me via Instagram at the Fletcher Files Pod on Instagram or on Facebook meta on the Fletcher Files Pod Facebook page, or of course, Patreon. Link in the description box, the Fletcher Files pod on Patreon. Otherwise, I will see you back here next Sunday at 5 p.m. for The Days Dwindle Down. Until then, promise me that you will have an amazing week and I will do the same. Bye.